The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Welcome to your afternoon. It's Rob Port 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Ben, how you doing? Doing good, Rob. How are you? Uh, doing good. You know the nice thing about this show is it comes on halfway through your Monday. Right. It's halfway over, folks, for most mm-hmm. of you. It's halfway over. You're getting there. Uh, yeah, we got a good show coming up. We've got a busy show. Uh, Mark Lauder, former assistant. We've got this big debate, and this is what I want to talk about right off the show is uh, this this debate over um, families being separated at the border. There's a lot of heated rhetoric being thrown around. You're even seeing Republicans, you know, coming after the Trump administration about this. I want to talk a little, a little bit about what's going on. Also, Mark Lauder, who is a former, um, former advisor to President Trump, is going to be on at 1230. Uh, at 1 o'clock, there is a ballot measure uh, that's being circulated for signatures right now. Uh, it addresses... The question of non-citizen voting in North Dakota. Some are saying it's a distraction, though, and some are saying that it's even being put out there to undermine the initiated measure process. Gary Emineth, who is a state Senate candidate out in Bismarck, also the statewide uh, chairman for this initiated measure campaign, he'll join me at one o'clock. Uh, also, uh, the things continue to heat up on the trade front. Um, we'll talk with Nancy Johnson. She's the executive director for the North Dakota Soybean Growers about you know, how are, how are North Dakotans, you know, how are, how are people attached to the ag industry? How are people who grow soybeans for a living, how are they feeling about all this? We'll talk with her at uh, 1.30. Plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Had a great, uh, great weekend. Ben had a good Father's Day with my kiddos. Um, took my, took my oldest daughter to a movie and, and she's, I mean, she's basically an adult at this point, which is how we uh, we went to Hereditary. Let me just put it that way. Oh wow! Yeah, I've heard, wow uh, was right. Heard uh, scary things about that movie. It is it is um, frightening, and I, you know, the thing is, is, is a lot of people say the first part is slow, and it is, uh, but it's I mean, it's a slow burn. I mean, they're really building it up because you're expecting things to happen, and then like the last half hour is is. Holy crap. Which I like in horror movies. I like kind of that buildup when they have it like that. So does it have like it was, a good buildup? It it did. And it was amazing because in the theater itself, like like peace, things started happening. I, and I, I mean, I've never, I don't know that I've ever been in a theater where people were just like voicing amazement at what was happening on the screen. Like just saying like, what the, yeah, it was a good movie. Uh, and then I took, uh, we went with the younger kiddos to Incredibles 2 on Sunday. I did see that one, Rob. You did see that yes. one? What did you think of it? Uh, I liked it. We got the last three seat, seats in the theater, and not, yeah. not as good as the first, but it was a fun little movie. I uh, I belong, because I go to a lot of movies. I like I like movies. I'm a member of Movie Pass, okay. which is a great way to see a lot of movies. Um, and also, I am a member of, because uh, we go to a local AMC theater here, and I'm mm-hmm. a member of their studs program. St- studs. Stubs. Stubs. <laughs> I don't think I get to be a member of any group called the Studs. <laughs> program um yeah the stubs program it's it's nice i'll tell you at the fir- first time ever i use their like exclusive lane right because that's one of the the benefits you get 
for being a club member, mm-hmm. like a premier member or whatever. You get to you get to cut in line basically. Okay. You get to use the the short line or whatever. I had never used it before yesterday. I feel terrible using it. Like I can't stand standing there and and all the cattle in the regular line right. are looking over at me like I'm some kind of a They're jerk because like, I'm cutting in front guy of them. Getting yeah. ahead of us. I got over it on Sunday though because the line for Incredibles was so long. I was just like, you know what? We're uh, we're cutting in line here. I yeah. paid for this. We're gonna, mm-hmm. even though I paid for it, I usually don't use it, but we used it on Sunday. So, um, all right. So let's talk about this this migrant thing at the immigration thing at the border, because again, I mean, there's people out there. Former uh, General Michael Hayden, former CIA director, um, you know, among other uh, various types of service to our our country. I mean, he was comparing this as as a lot of pe- people have to like Nazi Germany. You know, rounding people up. I heard somebody compare this favorably to, um, as a matter of fact, I think Laura Bush, former First Lady Laura Bush, compared this um, favorably to, um, or not favorably, but compared it to Japanese, you know, the internment camps that we put in place for yeah, Japanese that's the one Americans. I've been hearing a lot today, yeah. Um, a lot of people making these comparisons. And, and first of all, I, I think it's I think it's worthwhile understanding, cutting through some of this, because again, there's a lot of hot rhetoric about this. I don't know that a lot of it is very helpful to understanding what's going on. Right. Um, so the thing you've got to remember is that in years past, illegal immigration has been a problem for this country for decades, um, particularly with our, our southern border with Mexico. Uh, for a long time, that was mostly single males. Most, most of the illegal immigration happening at the southern border was single males. Um, over the last decade... Uh, for reasons that we could probably debate about, um, there's been a shift towards families. You're seeing more women, more children coming across the southern border. Now, what the Trump administration has implemented is not, specifically not, a policy to separate. I, and I think a lot of people don't understand this. They think all of a sudden the Trump administration, just to be mean or something, said, you know what, we're going to start splitting up the families. And that's that's not entirely accurate. I do think that the Trump administration, in part, is doing this as as a sort of provocation towards Congress to get them to do something. And we could talk about that in a moment. But specifically, what the Trump administration has started saying is that we are no longer going to have any tolerance for people who cross the border illegally. If you cross the border illegally, everybody's getting prosecuted. Now, the policy in years past is that at the border. Kids were not separated from their parents as uh, as long as the p- parent was not falsely claiming to be the child's parent, right? So somebody who's just right. claiming to be, not actually the parent, but just claiming to be the, then the kid to get separated. Yep. Um, instances where, you know, there was evidence that, that the, the adult was, the parents were being, you know, were a threat to the child, you know, so some sort of a an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if the adult is charged with a crime. So if, if the adult goes into some sort of a criminal proceeding, the kids get taken away. There's a, there's a separation there. Now, in the past, what had happened, because, again, most illegal immigration at the border was single males. And so what's happened here is we've seen a rise in families coming across. What has happened is we so we were giving a free pass, right? So if they came up and they had children with them, and they were part of, like, a family unit, then basically they got they got a pass. They didn't get charged with the crime. The Trump administration put a, a stop to that. They said, nope, those people are going to be prosecuted too. And so now the children are getting separated out. That's what's happening here. Now, I'm not saying that as an endorsement of the policy. What I am saying is that 
that's what's happening. It wasn't it wasn't like Trump, you know, twisting his mustache and saying, oh, no, we're going to do this to these families. That's not what's happening. So that's what's going on now. From that, obviously, that is now creating because we have a lot of, of a situation where we have a lot of kids, thousands of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the Trump administration themselves has acknowledged it's something like 2,000, I think, in that ballpark, children that something have been like separated that. from and their parents. They're uh, starting they're to being, run out of room for some of them, I think, in some of the facilities as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they're being they're being housed in in facilities. Um, you know, and there's, I mean, there's, and and again, it's it's so unhelpful because on one hand. You know, you, you have people who are supporting Trump out there saying, oh, look, you know, they've got popcorn machines and video games, and that's true. Uh, and they're saying, well, the kids aren't in cells. And on the other hand, you know, you have people who oppose Trump who are saying, uh, oh, these kids are, you know, they're being, you know, put in like gulags. You know, they're being put in cells and everything else. All, you know, all of that is unhelpful. The, the truth actually is is somewhere in the middle. And I guess my question for you is, is what, what should we be doing about this? Because I don't, I don't know that there are any easy solutions to this. I don't know that there are any easy answers. That's my question for you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Do you support what President Trump is doing? Or do you oppose it? And if you were in charge, what would you do? Because I'm not sure what we had before, which is where people who just showed up at the border and they had children in tow got a pass. I don't know that that was helping either. If anything, I think that probably just encouraged them to bring children to the border. And, and as a matter of fact, I think there's something interesting about that. Because um, during the early days of the Trump administration, we remember there was all this rhetoric about how Trump was going to be. I mean, obviously, he campaigned on illegal immigration. He campaigned on, hey, let's build the border and everything else. Um, and so when Trump first took office, we saw a situation where migration went down right i mean there's there's there is strong evidence that suggests that there is there is some economic there is some discretion when it comes i mean because I, I think a lot of them are are, are are appealing for asylum and everything else um making it seem like they are fleeing some violent situation I, but i i think if you look at the trends when trump took office I think a lot of people felt okay. He's going to be tough on illegal immigration. You saw a lot of, of you saw a lot of this slow up, but then I think word got out that well, not much has actually changed under Trump. So we saw it ramp up again. To me, that speaks to a degree of discretion, a degree of people being able to say maybe they're not actually fleeing like violence or whatever, which would make them refugees, which would make them asylum seekers. But instead, this is more of an economic choice. You know, they're choosing to come here because they want to make better lives. And that's not necessarily, I, I guess, a bad thing, um, but it's a different thing. If, if that point makes it clear. Also, we got to remember that we could just be sending the family units home. Now, I know, I know, a lot of the the proponents and a lot of Trump's enemies don't like this because they want these people to stay here. But you know the thing is is it's illegal for them to be here and until congress acts right. until congress you know creates some situation where they can come here then what are we supposed to do with the border and and i, I think i think again the larger point i want to get to the calls the larger point is why hasn't congress acted right i mean we've been and and i i think this really speaks to and, and what, what, what kind of leads me almost to want to support and i again I don't do it lightly, and I have a lot of empathy for what's going on and how scary it must be for these children. 
but there's a part of me that wants to support President what President Trump's doing. If for no other reason, then, then maybe this finally will be the impetus for Congress to act. Right? I mean, the, the reason the Obama administration created the DACA program because Congress wouldn't act. Congress wouldn't address the children, the, the, the children of illegal immigrants who are in this country wouldn't act to give them some sort of a some sort of surety for what their status is or some sort of a process for how to handle them. Congress won't act. We see this with 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 Congress a lot where they just don't want to act in area in, in sticky policy areas you know they, they keep punting and then we rely on the executive branch to just make it up as they go and that's not a good thing and so what i'm hoping is that president trump is giving congress impetus to act we got a caller on the line we've got a couple of them let's go to john first go ahead john what's up well you know you're you're, you're just about spot on on this rob you know it's like a lot of the issues that are out there that congress fails to act on you know uh, mike it's still carry reciprocity or or even the other side of gun control either one you know, I flipped out this morning. I had a good chuckle when Barbara Bush comes out and compared this to internment of the Japanese during World War II. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bush, but with all respect, there's a large difference here. The Japanese that were interned during World War II under Franklin Roosevelt were United States citizens. These are not United States citizens. You are illegally crossing my border, and it's time that somebody put their foot down and put an end to this nonsense. You know, well, I mean, at what, at what point, at what point, I mean, are we sending a signal to people who would come here illegally? Because I think it's clear. Again, if you look at the trend, when Trump first took office, I think there was a feeling that there was going to be a big crackdown. And actually, contrary to some of the rhetoric around Trump, there wasn't. In the early days, the first year or so of the Trump administration, not much changed. And, and we actually saw a slow up in illegal immigration, I think, because of the, the, the public perception. We've seen an increase of late. Because I think they got the feeling, okay, well, not much has changed. We can go back again. That, to me, tells me that, that the people who want to come here, A, it's very discretionary, and B, they're paying attention to what we say and what we do here in the United States, and that has a huge impact on their decisions on whether or not to come here. So if, they're, if our message to them is, when you come here, there is going to be absolute enforcement, and it will not be an easy thing for you and your family because what you are doing is illegal. Now, we can have a debate about what that, whether it should be illegal or what immigration law should be. But under current law, it is illegal. Well, and, and part exactly, of me thinks Robert, well, if, you know, if we send a message, maybe fewer of them will try to come here illegally. And I well, say that as somebody you know, who would like to make it easier cities, to come Rob, here legally. And, you know, people refuse to look at the sanctuary cities angle of this, Rob. When you have mayors of cities that are openly defined yeah. The law of the United States by saying, no, our police officers are not going to cooperate with, with immigration officers. Our, our, you know, what message does that send? It sends, yeah, okay, well, you know, we're going to talk a big talk, but we're really not going to do anything about it. I mean, that's, yeah. and, 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 and you're right there. And, 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 and this is where at some point someone has to put their foot down on it or it's just going to continue. I agree, John. Thanks for the call. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's get Jim here and we'll take a break. What, Jim? Something oh. very, I have something very short to say. Is that I just, the hypocrisy of these people who are upset about these children being separated from the parents. Well, these are the same people that are okay with children being separated from their parents through abortion. That's all i got to say. All right. Thanks for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. I, I think, ancillary to Jim's point, I think there is a question here. The parents who are choosing to immigrate into the United States illegally, 
at what point are they responsible for putting their children at risk? Now, again, I don't want to see children abused by our government. I don't want to see anybody mistreated by our government. But the problem is, is, is the border is in chaos. And part of the reason the border is in chaos is because Congress won't act. And I, I don't know that soft-pedaling this or patting ourselves on the back because we're taking the I don't know that that stuff helps. So anyway, we're going to keep this discussion going. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. All this, all this furor over what's going on at our southern border right now with, with parents being separate. And, and that is absolutely happening. I mean, don't get me wrong. Parents are being separated from their kids. And I think whatever side of this policy question you're on, we should acknowledge the fact that that's got to be terrifying for those kids. You know, I, I feel horrible for them. I, I, I can't imagine what that must be like. It's It's got to be absolutely terrifying. And I think we all got to keep that in our minds and in our hearts as we talk about this. Yeah, they did not ask for this, I'm guessing. They didn't ask yeah, for this. No. They're not the ones who are making the decision mm-hmm. to illegally immigrate. They're just immigrate, victims of this. Yeah. They are victims of this. Um, but but I think I think when it comes to the policy question, you've got to ask, who put them in that situation? Well, their parents put them in them in that situation now I, I know the argument is well a lot of them are applying for asylum a lot of them are fleeing places in mexico or or perhaps further south in central america uh, that are not good you know but but we do have actually a process for asylum i don't know that a lot of these i i, I think again if you look at the if you look at the trends for this going on it doesn't look like people who are desperately fleeing an awful social or political situation in their home country. It looks a lot of it like people like 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 there's a lot of economic discretion going on. Like it's people who want to come to the to America and 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 they want to come here because they can get jobs. And it'll be better for them and there'll be services available to them that they can't get where they're at. And I'm I am sympathetic to that. I am a strong advocate of more legal immigration. I think one of the I think one of the ways that we can address illegal immigration is to allow more legal immigration. But what I am tired of is is soft peddling this issue. And, and let's let's be honest about why we are where we're at right now. It is because of of decades of of previous iterations of Congress, decades of previous presidential administrations punting on this issue because it is not an easy political issue. I mean, you look at what's going on right now. There is heated rhetoric on both sides of it. This is not something politicians like to take the path of least resistance. Politicians are not courageous people. They don't like to wade into policy areas that don't have obvious dividends for them politically. This is a no-win situation. I don't think President. I don't think this is particularly helpful for, for President Trump politically. I think he's doing this because he campaigned on this. And I and I got to tell you, I think the people who want to immigrate and it's not even that i think this the people who want to emigrate into this country illegally the people who want to cross our border they pay attention to what's going on here they pay attention to what our policies are here and when they think they can get away with it more of them do it and so if we make it clear to them no we are going to be tough on the border if you cross the border illegally you will be prosecuted if you bring your kids with you you're going to be separated from them. And I, nobody wants that, right? I, I, I think that's the people who are comparing this to, like, Nazi Germany and Japanese internment camps or whatever, what they're losing sight of is I don't think the Trump administration wants to separate parents from their children. 
Nobody wants that. Nobody nobody wants people to illegally immigrate. Well, maybe some people do, but most of us don't want people to illegally immigrate. We understand that there is a reason there are a lot of excellent moral and political and, and policy reasons for why we control our borders. And so we, we I am all for a process through which it's better to legally it's it's easier to legally immigrate. Because I want immigrants into our country. But on the flip side, we can't just have an open border. I got some emails piling up. I meant to get to these emails this segment. Our, our guest the next one, he's a, he's a former advisor to President Trump, Mark Lauder. He's going to be on, hope, hopefully bring us some clarity to this. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Talking about the issue, everybody, it's all over, I'm told it's all over cable news, I don't, I don't watch cable news anymore, I'm, I'm not sure that it's all that informative, um, but it's all over the place, everybody's talking about this, there's a lot of hot rhetoric being thrown around about the question of separating families at, at the border, and and to me, it's a question of who you who you blame. It is illegal. What, what they are doing is illegal. It's it's a misdemeanor to illegally enter the United States. Uh, it's a felony to do it a second second time to re-enter. Um, so what they're doing is illegal. Um, we have struggled with the illegal legal immigration problem for years. We know that people attempting to illegally immigrate respond to our enforcement efforts and our politics here in the United States. I, again, I think that's why the we saw such a, a decline. In illegal immigration attempts um, during the early days of of the Trump administration, um, we've seen an uptick recently. Trump has said there's a zero tolerance policy. We're going to prosecute everybody, and it's been longstanding policy that if the parents get charged with a crime, uh, the kids get separated. And to me, the question is, who put the kids in that situation to begin with? I, I don't like that it's happening. I wish it wasn't happening. I wish Congress had acted on this years ago. I wish previous administrations had done a better job of handling this. I think it stinks that we're in this situation we're at now. But I, I, I think making Nazi comparisons and everything else at this point is unhelpful, and it's foolish, and it's dumb. And it's not going to help us find some sort of a policy resolution we can all live with going forward. Anyway, here to talk with me about it a little bit is Mark Lauder, former advisor to President Donald Trump. Mark, how's it going? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you? I'm a little worked up on this issue, as you can tell. <laughs> well, tell me. Yeah, uh, I can tell. Yeah, well, tell me. Tell me what's. Tell tell us what's going on. I mean, how how did we get here? I think you. I think you hit it right on the head there. The the problem is, is that under previous administrations, and there was actually a story I just saw it a, a, a few hours ago from the Associated Press back in January of 2016 during the Obama administration that was complaining because the Obama administration had loosened and just ignored all of these regulations and requirements about releasing children into the central part of our country, that many of these kids were being handed over to traffickers and to sweatshops and being malnourished and mistreated because they were just trying to get them out. And this is a president who's A, is not going to kick the can down the road, but B, He's not going to ignore the fact that if you're bringing, if you're coming here into this country illegally, you're going to be charged with a crime. It is a crime. We do not send children of American citizens. If you create, if you get charged with a crime, your kids don't go with you to jail. 
And yet, for some reason, they want us to create an entirely new class because ultimately what they want us to do is just ignore the fact that people are coming across the border illegally, shipping them into the middle of the country, and hoping that their good graces will have them show up two years later when, when it comes time to have their asylum hearing. We have uh, that's a that's a point an emailer to the program just said. Uh, uh, emailer says uh, when there are are criminals that have ch- kids that don't have anyone to care for them, doesn't the state take take them away as well? That's exactly what's going on with illegal immigrants, and it's okay if you don't want to lose your kids. Come here legally, uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Now, is 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 part of this is part of this because I I, I know in like with the DACA debate and everything else that there's been a lot of people just screaming at congress saying please please do something and i i think congress you, you talk about kicking the, the can down the road this is not an easy issue this is not an easy an issue that's politically expedient for anybody um and which i think politicians like to take the path of least resistance uh which is why they they largely either a avoid this issue or b take only nominal steps to to address it is this President Trump? President Trump saying, "Listen, zero tolerance. We're going to prosecute everybody." Is that sending a message to Congress saying, "Look, if you don't like it, act, do something"? Well, I don't think. I think it's because he believes that we need to secure our border. If we had a wall, if we had tougher border security, you wouldn't have the ability to just come across uh, the border as easily. So we'd have less of a problem. But but here's the big question: We actually treat immigrants coming from different parts of our hemisphere differently. If a child or a family comes across the border illegally from Mexico or Canada, they get sent immediately back home. No questions asked, they get sent immediately back home. If they come from Central America or South America, they are not sent back home. They're not allowed to be sent back home. So we have to have the hearings. There's a federal court ruling that says we can only hold these kids for 20 days. So we can either release them or we've got to get these processes through. We need to be able to ship these. If you've got a legitimate asylum claim, don't come into our country illegally. Go to one of the ports of entry and make your and file for your asylum petition. That is not breaking the law. That is following the law. And you will not be separated from your children unless you can't prove that they're yours, or it, there's clear evidence that the children are in physical harm or, or, or need medical attention, something along those lines. Do it legally. Yeah. And we I, will yeah. hear your petition. We will hear to, your asylum claim. To, Do it to, illegally. To back, you're going to be treated like the criminal that you've become. To back up what you're saying, because I, I think it's fascinating to look at the trends. When President Trump was first elected, obviously he campaigned on getting tough on illegal immigration, campaigned on the border wall and everything else. When he first got elected – uh, we saw a big drop in, in illegal immigration. And that, to me, speaks that it's discretionary, right? That there's there's a perception, they're paying attention to what's going on inside the United States, and they're making a decision about when's a good time to illegally immigrate. And I think a lot of them felt, well, with, with President, a guy who campaigned on this, on getting tough, maybe now's not a good time. Now, since Trump took office, we have seen an uptick again. We've seen it go up, but, but, but to me, the, those trends speak to a lot of discretion. When you're talking about people seeking asylum, right, in which, which to what you're talking about, um, people from Mexico, people from Canada get sent immediately back because we assume that those people are not seeking asylum, right? Those are our neighbors. We have you know very strong diplomatic relations with both countries. We, we understand th- those are not asylum seekers. From other parts of the world, we have a process through which we adjudicate the claims for asylum, Um 
but they're still if they're, if they're crossing the border illegally, they've still committed a crime. There's a legal way to seek asylum in the United States. They're not they're they're not following that process. Instead, they're they're crossing the border, which kind of makes me think that the whole you know we're, we're asylum seekers things just a, a charade. We we do definitely need to toughen up those uh, laws and, and bring some some clarity to the discrepancies between how we treat folks from different areas. But the but the end of the line is is we do not want to be housing these children separately from their parents. In fact, the president, as part of a 70-point immigration plan that he sent to Congress, asked to double the funding to allow us to create more family detention centers where we can hold families together while they're going through a legal asylum process. It's different when you get into the court process in terms of violating our, you know, the criminal laws. And yet Congress keeps sitting on it. And so these are the issues. No one is happy about having to do this. But we also, as the Secretary of Homeland Security said this morning, we do not have the luxury to just assume because you show up at the border with these children that they're your children, that you're not smuggling, that you are not involved in trafficking. And while it may sound great for Democrats and on a bumper sticker to just say, let these children be free, we need to make sure that we are treating them humanely and making sure that they are actually going with legitimate right. family members who love and care for them. It's just not something that we can take for granted. Well, let them, let them be free for what? Okay, we're going to let the kids be free to maybe be with abusive parents or, or abusive people who are not their parents or people who have them uh, for some nefarious, ugly, disgusting purpose. I, I mean, I, that, that that's that's so I, – and, and again, I understand, I mean, with, with all the – I think any time when we see rhetoric in as heated as it is right now where people are making Nazi comparisons, people – and it's not just Democrats, by the way. Laura Bush, I think, compared this to, like, the Japanese internment camps. And again, I, I don't I don't think that that's fair. What, what do, I mean, as a practical matter, they show up at the border, they have kids with them. What are we supposed to do now, Mark? How do we get to a situation with with Canada and Mexico? We just tell them, hey, turn around, go back home. You know, how do we get to? A, I mean, should we should we make the law? Is is that a is that a law where we if, if they're not from Mexico or they're not from Canada, we have to you know have have this this court process to. I guess, adjudicate the situation? Can we change the law so that we just send everybody else back home too, thus keeping, you know, A, respecting the law, and B, keeping those family units together? Is that a possibility? And that's one of the things that the president is asking for, is to bring that consistency to the law so we are applying it equally. And, And let's just remember that ultimately what those Democrats want is they want the federal government to give them a ticket, and give them the kids back and just send them into the middle of the country somewhere and hope that they will come back in two years when they're, when the time has come for their asylum claim to be heard. I mean, that's like sending a bank robber, letting them go, giving them the cash and saying, well, you can profit off of this. But in two years, if we find that you actually did rob the bank, we're going to want that money back. It's, you don't get to benefit by bit by breaking the law. And so do it legally. Do it through the system, and let's get that system reformed so we can handle it better. That's what the president is talking about. Well, um, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, we, we do have legislation that have come out from Democrats, and I'm reading on Senator Heidi Heitkamp's Twitter. Uh, she posted yesterday, uh, I'm co-sponsoring the Keep Families Together Act because se- separating any children from their parents 
must stop, which, I, again, I think is dumb. Any situation, Senator, there's no situation you can imagine where it might be appropriate to separate kids from parents or people claiming to be their parents anyway. Uh, she says the administration can and must change this cruel and harmful policy, but we can't wait for that to happen and need to pass this bill to take action. What is the Keep Families Together Act? Does that really, I mean, is that really a serious offer where we could find some compromise and address the situation? No, and, and all it really is just a political stunt right now from Democrats who are very much in danger of losing their elections this fall, hoping to capture on this uh, liberal and mainstream media outrage over this. What we need is what the president is talking about is to fundamentally fix our broken immigration and asylum programs. We need to secure the border so you can't come in or it's more difficult to come in illegally. And that way, if you are truly an asylum seeker, it directs you into the flow of where you're to be doing this legally so we can handle this situation. This is nothing but attention-grabbing headlines, just basically saying you can't stop, you can't stop, take children away uh, from their parents, even though they've broken the law while they're going through this system. And it's not the kind of thoughtful and long-term legislation that we need to fix the problem. It's just putting another Band-Aid on it. Where it, but it fails to it fails to treat the underlying problem. Yeah, Mark, thanks for your time. Appreciate it, and, and hopefully, I, again, I, I to me the headline out of all of this is why doesn't Congress act? I am I am tired of Congress punts on an issue. We kick it over to the executive branch. The uh, one administration asked, you know, does stuff from one administration to the other. A lot of times those policies change, sometimes very capriciously, from one administration to the next. This is Congress's problem. Congress makes the laws. If Congress doesn't like the laws that the Trump administration is enforcing, then Congress should change them. You know, I I, I, I don't know. I, if, if anything else, you know, hopefully this, this lights a fire under Congress. We'll get something out of them. Mark, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. It's Mark Lauder, former uh, former uh, advisor to President Trump. This is Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. I'm going to catch up on some of these emails. Uh, Kurt emails, finally a talk show host that actually throws some facts out on his show. There was so much crying on the Heidi 790 this morning. I darn near had to reach for the Prozac. Thanks, Rob. Well, thank you, Kurt. Um, Listen, I mean, Senator Heitkamp's, uh, you know, her, this is a serious issue. I mean, this this is a real issue. There are real people being impacted by this right now. And the big part of the problem is Congress hasn't acted. Congress has done very little on this issue. You can go back decades. The, The amount of work that they've done to address illegal immigration is almost non-existent in terms of actual substantive policy that has had an impact. It's very little. And so now all of a sudden, President Trump does something. He's enforcing the law on the books. And all of a sudden now, Democrats want to act. Now they've got legislation. Well, how does how does joining your name on to a partisan stunt help this situation? I can tell you that it doesn't. I can tell you that signing on to that legislation is the rhetorical equivalent of, of comparing, you know, where, how these kids are being detained and, and how the parents are being detained to, like, Nazi prison camps. It's unhelpful. Another emailer, John, uh, Neil, says, when a citizen of the United States commit a crime, aren't they separated from their children? What makes it such a big deal if a non-citizen commits a crime and are separated from their kids? Should kids of citizens be able to stay with their parents in prison? Stupidity is stupidity. 
Well, I think the thing, it's the optics of it. It's because it's happening in mass. You have thousands of people trying to cross the border. Uh, they have lots of kids with them. And so now you end up with a situation where you've got thousands of kids being detained. And so, yes, you're right. Absolutely. Parents, citizens of the United States who commit crimes in the United States lose their kids, but it gets spread out all over the country. And a lot of times, because it's happening here in the domestically here in the United States, you know, we have a situation where we could find other family members, right? We could find some grandparents, we could find some aunts and uncles, something like that, who could take the kids, and they don't necessarily uh, get detained. But a lot of those two kids do end up; they go into the human services situation. They go, uh, you know, they go to like foster homes, they go to you know other other sort of care facilities. And that's not a great situation either, but it doesn't have the same optics of a bunch of kids, you know, and especially because this is a new policy. A lot of the a lot of the um, the facilities where they're being held are sort of ad hoc. They're sort of thrown together. Now, I don't think anybody's intentionally trying to be cruel to these kids. But the Trump administration is enforcing the law. If you don't like the law, change the law. And part of me thinks one of the best ways to get rid of laws that are dumb laws, like if it's a dumb policy area, you enforce the heck out of the law you don't like. I'm not so sure that this isn't a smart move by the executive branch. When you've got a legislative branch that won't get on its duff and do something meaningful about an important, about a serious policy area, then enforce the heck out of the status quo and make them act. I'm not so sure that's such a bad idea. Joe emails, uh, Rob, I think there needs to be clarification on what's actually happening at the border. What happens to the people getting caught? Are they tried in court, set free back in Mexico, reunited with their children? People don't know the answer, so it's all speculation. We can all agree keeping 200 children in chain-link fenced areas on concrete floors with tinfoil space blankets is universally a terrible idea. It can only be viewed as an unnecessary, cruel, unnecessarily cruel inter- implementation of the law. Joe, it might help if you knew some of what was going on. People do know what's happening. As a matter of fact, we just spoke with a guest who does, in fact, know What's happening? If you are if you are from family units who originate in Mexico or originate in Canada, for that instance, uh, they are sent back. They are turned back. They are not detained at all. Now, if they're from other parts of the world, we have to have a process. There is actually a, a, a level of adjudication that goes into deciding, you know, are, are they asylum seekers? You know, what is their status? What are we doing with them? So, yes, we do know what's happening. There's a court process. And now what the Trump administration is doing is they are charging them with crimes. Crossing the border illegally is a crime. The first time it's a misdemeanor, you try it again, it's a felony. Now, we can have a debate about whether or not that should be the law, but it is the law. And I think it sucks that there are thousands of kids who are put in this situation. But you know who I'm going to blame for putting them in that situation? Their parents. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday1.com. Hour 2 of the Rob Report, coming up next. Welcome back, Hour 2 Rob Report. Does the North Dakota State Constitution have a loophole in it that could allow non-citizens to vote in the state? Now, in, in some other parts of the country, places like Vermont and, and Illinois, you have local governments, you know, like municipal governments or the like, uh, deciding that they're going to allow non-citizens to vote in their elections, uh, apparently because their state laws allow for that sort of thing. Uh, my guest is Gary Emineth, uh, in addition to being a candidate for the state Senate out in Bismarck. He is also a, um, a, a, a the well the chairman of a ballot measure committee that would amend North Dakota state constitution um, to, to change the language. Well, first of all, it eliminates a word and then adds some language to make it clear that non-citizens cannot vote in the state of North Dakota. 
Gary, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I've had you on before, and I think I've asked this question before too. But what I mean, what what inspired you to do this? I mean, what what brought this up? Do we is this a problem we have in North Dakota? Well, here's what I would say: it's not a problem today, but the odds of it being a problem in the future are very real. And we're seeing efforts across the country, really pretty much by the left, um, on on left leaning city governments like San Francisco, Chicago, um, Maryland. Got probably eleven cities doing it where they're allowing citizens to vote, um, non-citizens to vote in a local election. And that's what we're about to do is to keep that from happening in North Dakota. Now, there was an article uh, written by Helmut, or excuse me, um, it was an article uh, published by a forum news service over the weekend. Um, And it, I mean, the headline was change or distraction, talking about your ballot measure. And it it quotes a a critic, Zach Eckelet. Now, Zach is... um, uh, well, he's he's a socialist. He's a member of that uh, what is it, Red River Valley Socialists or something? A pretty extreme ideology. Uh, he's also a proponent of of what they call approval voting for the local ballot, and that's which is a separate issue. We can get into that, but he makes some accusations about your measure that I want to. Um, I, I I I I think we've sort of addressed the first one, but I wanted to walk you through and let you respond to some of these because some of these are pretty serious. Sure. Um, Zach says, first of all, there isn't a movement to allow non-citizen voting in North Dakota. He maintains that your petition uh, isn't even targeting the right language in the Constitution. Um, so what do you say to that? Where he's saying, A, that you know, this isn't, nobody, nobody wants non-citizens to vote in North Dakota anyway, uh, and B, you're not even targeting the right language in the Constitution. Well, first of all, he's wrong about that because what we've um, learned by meeting with attorneys and legislative counsel, this is indeed – where the Constitution needs to be addressed related to citizen voting. And so we're very confident where we changed um, um, every citizen to only a citizen. You begin to make it exclusive and very specific that you have to be a citizen and a resident to vote. Now, to Zach's point, he's complaining that it's impacting other initiated measures of people trying to get petitions and it's a distraction. Well, my argument is what gives him more right to bring a petition to the people to sign and to change a constitution or state law, giving him any more right than me and our group who's doing what we do. So it's kind of, that's, that's kind of weak on his part. And second of all, um, the fact that when you find a city that has liberal positions, and let's just say Fargo has a majority of, of citizens that would be uh, on council that would want to move this, the similar language we have in our Constitution is what California has, and it allowed San Francisco to change voting for local elections in San Francisco, and Fargo could do the same thing. So by us putting in the Constitution, we eliminated anyone else from having this opportunity, any city change it, because it's embedded in our Constitution, not state law. And, and, and to be clear, nobody in Fargo is bringing that. Gary's just using That's Fargo as, yeah, as an absolutely. example. Nobody, correct. nobody, nobody in Fargo is actually doing that. Um, okay, I, I, I do think that's weird that he's saying yours is a distraction because I guess he's going to be circulating a petition too. We have lots of. I mean, every cycle. I mean, sometimes we have what it was, wasn't that long ago. We had like eight ballot measures on on the statewide ballot. I mean, we've had. You know, we go through cycles where there's a lot. We go through cycles. I mean, the the June primary this time around didn't have any uh, measures, but a lot of times there's a number of measures getting circulated at one time. I, I I think that argument's a little silly. One thing he did say though, and again, I'm quoting from the uh, the article. 
Uh, he said canvassers and petitioners for the measure have been using aggressive methods like relentlessly pursuing people and bothering businesses to gather signatures. Now, Gary, have you had any complaints or any reports of your your petitioners, we, uh, you know, using aggressive tactics? No, we've never we've not had any complaints. Number one, from businesses, and number two, we had a couple people who felt our petitioners weren't spun up quite as um, clear on the law as they should be. And so we immediately, when we got a complaint, um, got a hold of our organizers in that part of the state and asked them to bring them in and train, and we gave them maybe better talking points. But when you have a volunteer or even someone that's paid, you give them time to train, but people are pretty sophisticated today. They're up on the issues. Consequently, someone can ask a question that a petitioner kind of doesn't have a feel for, it, and um, it can happen where they maybe don't have the right answer. So it's more like people maybe made an interpretation of what we were attempting to do, and people that reached out to me were not uh, really offended other than to say, I think you better get your petitioners um, better informed to defend the position. And so did- it was more of that, and, and we corrected it as soon as we got a couple of complaints, which came on Facebook. People, Our Facebook page, our webpage, North Dakotans for Citizen Voting, people came onto our Facebook and sent us a message, and we immediately responded to it. Um, what do you um, – do you have your, your petition collectors – are, are you are you paying them? Are you, do you have paid petitioners? Yeah. We have okay. some. We have some paid and a lot of volunteers. So it's, to get this many signatures, if you recall when we first initiated this, you said it's not likely us to get it done in this short window, as you know how difficult it is. So um, we've raised some money and um, have combination of paid and volunteers, and um, it's a it's a very aggressive campaign in five weeks from the day we filed to the date to get. 27,000 signatures, and we're halfway there, Rob. We're about 15,000. Um, I expect we're going to make it, um, but we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, you got to have what north of 26,000, correct? Yeah, yeah, just a, just under 27,000, 26,985 or something like that. Yeah. What? Uh, who? Where are you raising the money from to pay for petitioners? I mean, we know that's not cheap. As a matter of fact, just earlier today, we saw the uh, the folks who want to put a uh, an ethics commission in the state constitution turn in their signatures. They got they got tens of thousands of dollars from you know far left out of state groups like N Citizens United, uh, Represent. Uh, they, they have a local group that's that's a that's a front that's trying to make it look like it's a local thing. But really, this is a, this is a national left-wing thing. Spent thousands, you know, got thousands and thousands of dollars from these left-wing groups to pay petitioners. Where, where are you folks getting your money from, Gary? Well, well, we've raised some money from out of state. Um, I reached out to a group that I know that I've been involved with on a national level asking for their financial participation. And um, they've helped um, pay for some of the volunteers. But we've raised money locally and state. And, um, you know, it's hard to do in five and ten dollars at a time so we're we're working it in thousand dollar increments if we you know that level and so it's going to cost you know till we're done uh, maybe a couple hundred grand to get this thing all done and pass maybe three four hundred thousand till we do a media campaign this fall so you know we're raising money you know any place we can and um so it's just part of the process What, what what's that group's name and how much money have they given you well, I'd rather not disclose totally that yet because I don't. I will when I put the petitions in. Um, okay. Wait, they, uh, they've contributed. They, they've helped raise over a hundred thousand out of state, and um, we're going to have to raise about a hundred thousand in state. That's just the ballpark, Rob. That w- that's what our targets are. 
All right. I mean, if you're going to have to disclose it eventually anyway, I mean, why not just say who yeah, they are? Yeah. Um, well, I'm just not ready to do it yet. So. All right. Uh, we have an emailer says that Al Jagger says this is an absolute non-issue and that the Constitution already addresses this very issue. What says Gary? Well, um, Al Jagger's comment when I turned it in said, well, state law does this already. But he said, um, if you want to embed it in the Constitution, this is this is the right thing to do. Whether it's the process he likes or not, the legislature can do a similar thing by changing the Constitution. But the Constitution is not clear. And I think Al speaking to our current state law um, makes it not right. A citizen can't. I say you have to be a citizen and a resident to vote. But it's not in our Constitution. And we're only one legislative session away from them changing it. And so yeah. if they did and loosened it up a little bit, that would be a problem. So the Constitution effort buttons it up. So so the idea is we change the Constitution this cycle. Uh, if, you, if you get your way, we change the Constitution this cycle. And then in the future, if anybody wants to change that, be it you know at the local level, the legislature, what have you, it's got to go to a vote of the full state, right? I mean, that's, that's correct. That's yes, you exactly can't amend correct. the Constitution in North Dakota. It's got to be a constitutional change. Right, because in North Dakota, you can't amend the state constitution without it going to the ballot, whether it's the legislature yep. initiating it or or it being initiated through initiative measure. Uh, let's see, Josh. Absolutely correct, and that's why, we're another, making, that's why we're making it tougher to do this, though. So. We got another email that says, does Gary believe in local control? And I guess I guess the question there is, you know, why shouldn't Fargo be able to allow non-citizens to vote in their elections if they want to, in their local well, elections? For- well, I think voting in any election is an exclusive right for a U.S. citizen and a North Dakota resident. And so if you want local control and you want to have non-citizens vote, then I guess fight against what we're trying to do. We think it should be an exclusive right for U.S. citizens and North Dakota residents. And local control should not be an issue. That's why we're doing this. That's what they're doing in San Francisco, Chicago, in the Maryland and Vermont. We believe that the majority of North Dakotans think you should be a citizen and North Dakota resident, which is why we're embedding it in the Constitution. Did this idea start with an out-of-state group, Gary, or was this locally? Nope, it was it was me and a couple people having a cup of coffee one day. All yeah. right, seven hundred one. We did reach for outside help because of the timing of getting this done. So, but yeah, to be seven- honest with you, Rob. I think this could become a national effort. That's why this um, national group was interested because. They said if North Dakota does this, Montana's working on a similar effort. Um, As we go into 2020 and the implications of the national impact in a national election, we need to button it up nationally. So I think I I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes a national issue if we're successful. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it is interesting. And and certainly I... I agree with you. I, I think I think the, I think the franchise to vote in the United States of America should be reserved to people who are citizens and 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 specifically voting in state elections, um, residents of our state. I, I I don't know. I mean, the local control issue. I'm generally in favor of local control, but we're talking about the franchise. You know, the, the franchise Absolutely. to vote, which get, which gets you know exercised everything from national presidential elections to uh, the proverbial local dog catcher election. Uh, although, does well, anybody actually elect their dog catcher, Gary? <laughs> we, I hear that saying all the time. I, I don't think so anymore. I don't think we elect the dog catcher that way. I think he, he or she is uh, hired by the city. But, yeah. but, Rob, to my point, some people ca- called me out and tried to say this is all about immigration and it's about trying to suppress the vote. It's not at all. It's, it's really about encouraging non-citizens to become U.S. citizens to say right. this is something that I want to participate in. 
and be a part of the American way of life. And well, one yeah. of the things that is is voting. And so it's really about that. Really we can have yeah, we can have a debate about immigration, and we can have a debate about how hard or how easy it should be to to become a citizen. And I, honestly, I think there's a lot of things that we could do to make it easier to become a, a citizen. I like immigration. I like that people want to come here and live and prosper the way my ancestors did when they moved here from places like Germany and and Norway. Um, I, you know, so I I want that, but to me that's a separate issue. I mean, this is saying, but if you want to exercise that franchise to vote you got to take the steps to be a citizen. We can have a debate about what those steps should be and how easy it should become be to become a citizen, but I, I agree with you. I think voting should be reserved to citizens. Gary, thanks for your time today. Hey, Rob, appreciate thank it. you. Yeah, it's Gary Eminent. Uh, this is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's some here's some breaking news. Uh, by the way, do you agree, Ben? I, 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 I understand people talking local control or whatever. I think voting in the United States ought to be citizens. Yeah, I think that is a right reserved to actual citizens of the like if you, if you want the franchise even if it's at the local mm-hmm. level even if, if it's voting for the the local dog catcher which again nobody votes for the dog catcher no. anymore i guess that's just the saying but mm-hmm. um if if you want to if you want to vote in the united states of america whether it's some hyper local election or it's for president of the united states i think you should be a citizen that's one of the things you get for becoming a citizen you get to vote yep um and if you you know we can have a debate about how you become a citizen how easy it should be and what the requirement should be. I'm, I'm more than happy to have that debate. I have thoughts on it, as you might imagine. But for the most part, voting should be for citizens. Full stop. I don't I don't understand why that I, I don't even understand why that should be controversial. So I do think it's weird that Gary wouldn't talk about whatever group gave him the money. They got one hundred thousand dollars from some group. At some point, they're going to have to disclose it. Why not just tell me? Right. It's just a little strange. That's but weird. That's yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got some we got some news here. I can I can break. Uh, the March for Our Lives Road to Change bus tour, Ben. Yeah. Uh, now that is the that is the Parkland students who are are anti gun. They're mm-hmm. part of the anti gun movement. Um, so they're they're out touring the country. Uh, they're going to be coming to our neck of the woods later this really? month. As a matter of fact, yeah, June twenty sixth. They're going to be in Moorhead. Um, now I don't have, I don't have like like specific if you go to say anything blog.com i got it all written up i got the links and everything there i guess you could check it out i don't have the specific um details but they're going to be in moorhead on june 26th uh on june 27th they're gonna they, they said they're gonna be at the standing rock reservation now they have the pin they're showing is on the south dakota side but standing rock straddles north dakota and south dakota so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what specific community in on the reservation they're going to be at um, and then on uh, on June 28th, they're going to be in Bismarck. Okay, they're coming specifically. It says to Moorhead, not Fargo, or just Fargo Moorhead. It just says 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 just Moorhead, okay. Minnesota. So right across the river. Yeah, it doesn't say Fargo yeah. Moorhead. It says more. Uh, Wonder just why? I don't know. I think of the bigger. City, so well, somebody but, yeah. somebody made a somebody made a crack about how you know they're going to stay in the People's Republic of Minnesota and not come over here to north dakota except that well they're coming to bismarck too yeah so i don't obvious you know they're i don't know why they wouldn't just say fargo moorhead but whatever mm-hmm. i don't know so yeah they're coming um they're coming here uh so the things that they're asking for this is what on their tour what they're advocating for 
They want universal background checks. They want a digitized, searchable database from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Uh, they want more funding for the centers of de- de- uh, the- <clears throat> excuse me, more funding for the CDC to quote research the gun violence epidemic in America. Uh, and then they want bans on high-capacity magazines and semi-automatic assault rifles, um, which is all the the usual stuff. Um, you know, the background checks. I think what's problematic there. I mean, talking about universal background checks, that would mean even at, like like if I had a shotgun, Ben, mm-hmm. and I wanted to like sell you that shotgun, and we're two private citizens, and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know, you're gonna give me some deer sausage, and I'm gonna trade you my shotgun, like right. we come up with some arrangement like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I guess we would have to do a background check. Like we'd have to go to, through some process, you know. I mean, it, it's going to inhibit people's ability to engage in that sort of I'm that sort of person how you would set something like that up if, to run efficiently with how many right. people do own guns. In, or if you went to like a show. gun show. Like if you're at a gun show right. and you brought your gun collection uh, and then you wanted to swap a gun with somebody else, you guys would have to get a background check, even if you're both private people. So I don't know. Stuff like that, I, I think, is is a little silly. Also, the digitized searchable database. I'm not even sure what that means. Are we going to put all gun owners in a database? Yeah, I'm going to find out all like, who has the guns. It would be for just in law enforcement would be able to look this up, or if it would be like public information. Like, well, law enforcement it... can all well. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say that. Some places already have gun registration. Mm-hmm. And law enforcement can already look up that sort of thing. Here in North Dakota, we have the concealed carry permit list. That list is not public, though, but I believe law enforcement can access it and see if somebody's a a permit holder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I guess they would want that universally. They want everybody in America to have. But right now, that's a state issue. I mean, right now, that's sort of a state to state issue. Um, so I don't know. Um, and then the ban on high-capacity magazines, semi-automatic assault rifles. I mean, the thing about semi-automatic assault rifles, I mean, most gun deaths in the United States of America are not committed by semi-automatic assault rifles. No. Now, there's some high-profile shootings where they're used, but even in the mass shootings, I mean, a lot of times, I'm thinking the, the, the Virginia Tech shooting was a couple of handguns. The Fort Hood shooting was, was handguns. Um, so the idea that, that banning semi-automatic assault rifles is somehow going to have this, 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 this proportionate impact on gun violence, I think, is a little a little silly. But anyway, they're coming here. Uh, they're going to be holding events uh, June 26th in Moorhead, June 27th, somewhere on the Standing Rock Reservation, uh, and then June 28th in Bismarck. So they are coming. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Coming up in the next segment, we are going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk with Nancy Johnson from the North Dakota Soybean Growers Association. Um, the the potential for trade war has soybean farmers worried. There's a lot of hot political rhetoric flowing around this. We're going to talk with Nancy. We're going to we're going to get get the on the ground view. How do the people who are making their business making their livelihoods from soybeans? How are they feeling about this? More to come straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We were talking about the uh, the Parkland student, the anti-gun activist, the Parkland students. Uh, they're, they're coming through our area later this month, Moorhead, uh, the Standing Rock Reservation, and then Bismarck. Uh, they're going to be in Minneapolis even before that. 
Um, and, and during it, I was just one of the things they're asking for is universal background checks. And I said uh, that not all like like private seller, like like if I'm at a gun show uh, and I want to you know swap a gun or sell a gun from from myself as a private gun or private person, not like a gun dealer, but just a private person to another private person, that there's not a background check there. Emailer says, Rob, all gun show transactions uh, require a background check already. As far as I'm aware, and actually, no, that's not the case. Now, if you are a firearms dealer at a gun show, then yes, I believe that's the case. But what we're talking about, if, if you're talking about at, at the secondary market, even at a gun show, like you're just two gun enthusiasts and you show up at a gun show uh, and you want to swap a gun with another gun enthusiast or another private citizen or sell a gun to them or whatever, uh, you don't have to do a background check. Under, pri- under federal law, private party sellers are not required to perform background checks on buyers, uh, whether at a gun show or, or another venue, whether it's like your garage or whatever. Um, that's federal law. Now, some state laws do go beyond that. Some states like California, uh, I think the District of Columbia, New York, um, there are there is such a thing as, as quote-unquote universal background checks, but that's not federal law. So, you know, here in North Dakota, you don't have to get a background check. Now, as always, I'm not a lawyer. That's my understanding of the law. I am not a lawyer. If you're going to do something like this, you know, make sure you understand the laws or talk to somebody who do. But that's my understanding of the law is, um, at least here in North Dakota, gun shows uh, you don't you don't if, if you're if you're a private person selling to another private person, private party sellers, secondary market, you do not necessarily have to get a background check. Uh, all right, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to talk about this trade issue, and there is a lot. I mean, it's. The policy is coming from a president who's politically polarizing. Uh, the policy is being implemented in a midterm election year. And so not surprisingly, there's a lot of political hot air flowing around about it. I want to cut through some of that, and I want to talk to the people who are on the ground, the people who are potentially the, you know, going to be impacted by this policy more than anybody else. And the policy I'm talking about, of course, is trade policy with, with China um, and, and other countries, frankly. Here to talk with me about it is uh, Nancy Johnson. She's with the North Dakota Soybean Growers. Uh, Nancy, how you doing? I am doing great. How about you, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. So, so where are we at with this right now? We had, I mean, there's there's been a lot of posturing from China, posturing from the Trump administration. China now has come out and said that they are going to implement tariffs on American exports to their country. Uh, among those exports, soybeans, which North Dakota. Uh, well, A, we, we grow a lot of soybeans, and B, we ship most of those soybeans to China. Uh, China's come out and they said that they're going to do this. Where are we at with that? When does that actually get implemented? The actual implementation of that tariff would be July 6th. Okay, so we have, we're, we're a few weeks away yet. Is there any hope that you're seeing that we can have something to to – Maybe there's going to be some development where it doesn't go into effect. Because, again, a lot of this is negotiation, right? I think a lot of this is, is a lot of posturing. Do you have any – I mean, do we know what, what you're feeling? Is this going to go into effect? We are hopeful that there is a lot of constructive conversation going on behind the scenes and that this is part of the negotiation process. We certainly were feeling that this uh, – this tariff discussion, when it was said it was on hold, was encouraging, gave everyone time to take a deep breath and figure out some solutions to some very real problems. 
but now that the announcement has been made, there is a time clock going, and so it is very concerning. How how big of a deal? I mean, obviously it's a big deal. That's a dumb question. Let me pull that back. What does the impact look like for soybean if this goes into effect? And and again, um, maybe you could share with us. I, I is that like seventy percent of North Dakota soybeans go to China? In a typical year, more than seventy percent do okay. go to to Southeast Asia, primarily China. Exactly. Okay. What what is the impact on North Dakota if China puts this tariff in place? Well, at this point, let's talk about what's happened already. Soybean futures have dropped more than two percent. And so that means they've hit their lowest price in a year, which is discouraging when farm prices are, you know, half of what they were. Farm income is half of what it was uh, in 2013. So you're already seeing a slide. Um, I had the opportunity to take a peek at some maps of ocean-going vessels, and certainly, as would be typical at this time of year, there aren't any ships that are loading soybeans in the Pacific Northwest. So there's no demand right now, and that would, again, be very typical. But we certainly uh, don't like to see those futures already dropping, and we certainly don't like the uh, the talk of, of the one crop that always penciled out really well in North Dakota for the last few years, which is soybeans. Yeah, that is troubling. But I, so what you're describing is, is we're not seeing any ships loading, but we typically wouldn't because I've I've spoken with uh, we had Eugene Grainer on. He's he's a commodities trader at a at a Bismarck and pretty smart guy. And he, I mean, he says a lot of these markets are cyclical, right? I mean, obviously there's growing seasons and everything else. He says right now there's not a lot of tr- soybean trade going on anyway. Um, so it, which I think jives with what you're saying, where we're not seeing. We're not seeing ships in the Pacific Northwest loading up soybeans, but we are down about 2% in the futures. But it's safe to say that we haven't really seen a huge impact so far? Well, the prices have been dropping, and 2%, you know, when it's a one-year low, is not a great place to go because the soybean prices have been drifting slightly lower over time. And a 2% hit is, in comparison to what's going on with the rest of the market last week, it was less than half a percent for corn or wheat. So it's a a fairly big hit, and it's concerning when, again, that soybean crop was what was penciling out pretty nicely for lots of guys. And we sure hope that many people had a lot of their crop marketed, but typically you'd only market half your crop so that you wouldn't plan on – Soybeans that might not grow due to too much rain, too little rain, that kind of thing. So that means that maybe half the crop hasn't been marketed. So as those prices drift down, that is concerning. Is, is there an issue? I mean, this is this is a, this is a market, right? And and nobody can really predict where these markets can go. Nancy, if you and I could sit down and predict where these markets are going to go, you and I could make a lot of money together. But nobody can predict this stuff. Um, but I mean, there's there's cause for concern. I certainly understand that. Um, one thing that I've heard people say though is, okay, well maybe China uh, puts a tariff on on our soybeans, and so China goes and buys their soybeans somewhere else. Well, then don't we then see the people who are buying those soybeans maybe buying for us? I mean, a lot of these markets aren't really all that elastic, right? I mean, there's there's a certain amount of demand for soybeans. There's a certain amount of soybeans on the market. Um, Eventually, I mean, those soybeans are going to satisfy that demand. Is there a potential where, okay, we got a trade tariff with China, so now we're going to find new trade partners? Well, the real, the, the real eye-opening thing about soybeans is that 
China buys two-thirds of the world's soybean exports. In other words, they are the 8,000-pound gorilla in the soybean market. So, yes, certainly if another country purchased soybeans from the Pacific Northwest and the ownership of those soybeans exchanged hands uh, crossing the ocean, that's certainly a possibility. I'm sure there's a really smart trader out there who's already trying to figure out how to make all of that happen. I think the concerning thing ultimately is the disruption of trade because we have had a pretty predictable we combine our soybeans, they pretty much go to the local terminals, they get on a lot of shuttle trains and go to the Pacific Northwest in that fall through midwinter period. And if there should be a disruption, um, first more soybeans get purchased out of Brazil, which is Brazil's in the uh, harvest position right now. And if China took more Brazilian soybeans than they normally did, they might purchase soybeans later from anyone. You know, if, there's, if their warehouses were full, if they're crushing like mad, that might mean that farmers who are used to sending all their soybeans right to the terminal would, in fact, have to hold them on their farm. The terminals who might have ordered trains to go to the PNW two years ago might be wondering, do I need three shuttle trains in uh, the first week of October or only two? So there's a lot of that kind of it goes through the whole supply chain. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. So basically what's happening, I mean, we had we had sort of worn paths in, in this market that we're all used to and, and were relatively predictable, about as predictable as any of this could be. And what's happening now is we've got some policies changing, potentially changing, and that's creating some uncertainty about, okay, well, if I can't, if I, if I, I can't sell to this market or I have to sell to this market at a big disadvantage, where am I going to sell now? Is that sort of what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And this is this is the the kind of thing that an individual farmer might respond to by building more grain bins, although I understand the price of grain bins has gone up with the steel tariffs. So I might want to hold the soybeans on my farm to do some marketing management that way. So there's a, so, there's, a, there's a couple of options, but not everyone yeah. can take advantage of all those options. But, but my, my point is, I mean, obviously, this is a hot political t- topic nationally. It's it's an election year. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of political posturing from Democrats, from Republicans, both sides of this issue. Um, I, I guess what what I'm wondering, though, is, is we obviously I, I think most people agree there are some valid trade issues with China in particular that need to be worked out. Uh, and we've you know, I, I think there is a feeling that, yeah, OK, we do got to get tough with china in in some way um i i i guess my question is is how much how, how are you know, particularly your constituency soybean growers how are they feeling about this i mean how are they looking at, at what the trump administration is doing do they think he's on the right path do they think he's on the wrong path uh, is is there a preference for how, how to go about doing this because again i, I think there is a feeling we do got to get tough with china but is president trump going about it the right way I think that uh, soybean farmers agree that the intellectual property issues that have been on the table for some time with China do need to be solved. I think that everything that I've heard from uh, soybean farmers has been we're not thrilled that we are the um, bargaining chip in all this. And it certainly feels for those people who can remember um, weed embargoes and other things from the deep, dark, distant past and some previous uh, negotiations like this really um, feel like there's going to be, there is 
someone's going to feel some hurt. There's going to be some financial pain, and um, many soybean producers have felt like they might be the people um, receiving that short-term pain. We've heard from USDA that uh, that Secretary Purdue has thoughts in mind about how to keep the pain to a minimum. So hopefully, being that bargaining chip and enduring that pain will um, will be smoothed over in a way. But mostly, we'd like to just take advantage of all the hard won trading that is in place already and uh, keep that giant demand for soybeans in china fulfilled yeah well I, I think at the end of the day we want american producers to be able to sell american products to people who want to buy them uh wherever they are in a perfect world it would work that way unfortunately it's it's not a perfect world anyway nancy thanks for your time today appreciate it you bet thanks so much rob that's Nancy Johnson with the Soybean Growers Association. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701 Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see, Tim emails, goes, thanks for getting the rational, real-world view of the impacts of soybean tariffs on your show versus the significant misinformation given previously by the snake oil salesman trader from Bismarck. However, your attempts to get her to agree with even one point previously touted by your sure show weren't very well disguised. Well, Tim, I'm not sure what I want you want me to do. There's a lot of arguments being made out there on both sides of this issue. I was asking her for a response to them. I was saying, hey, other people say this. What say you? You represent the soybean growers. What's wrong with that? Uh, let's see. Another emailer says, Rob, you and Eugene say that we could sell the soybeans elsewhere. Not entirely true. If the price increases at 25% up to 50% more, uh, people will find other sources of food. Not everything that Trump touches turns to gold. Well, I'm not saying everything. I, I, just, I was just asking her. If she thought that, you know, Trump was going about it the right way. I mean, listen, this is tough. I, I'm not sure that Trump threatening tariffs and China coming back with tariffs. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the right way to go about this. I don't know that Trump is handling this right. I'm a free trade guy, by the way. Trump is very much changing the Republican Party. He's taking the Republican Party back to a very old way of looking at um, looking at trade. Listen, I was criticizing when it was Byron Dorgan. Remember when he wrote that book? Byron Dorgan, by the way, who, who was just out recently in the, I think it's funny, Byron Dorgan, who moved out of North Dakota a long time ago, but was just back in North Dakota with an op-ed supporting Heidi Heitkamp. Byron Dorgan, who claimed when he was a United States senator that his official residence in North Dakota was an apartment that he rented from his colleague, Senator Kent Conrad, in a dumpy apartment building in, uh, in Bismarck, financed with a VIP loan from subprime lender Countrywide Mortgage that Conrad negotiated with the CEO. At that time, Dorgan was living in a, in a mansion in McLean, Virginia, multi-million dollar mansion. He still lives out of state. He doesn't live in North Dakota anymore. But anyway, when he was, when Senator Byron Dorgan was pretending to be a North Dakota resident and was our United States Senator, his point of view on these trade issues wasn't all that different from Donald Trump's. It was a very populist view. You know, America first, right? He wrote that book, Take This Job and Ship It. Do you remember that? I read that book. Reminded me a lot of President Trump. Now, I don't really agree with either of them on trade. I'm a free trade guy. I'd like to see goods and services flow across the border. I think free trade serves America's uh, agendas. 
I think some of what President Trump's doing on trade is picking and choosing winners and losers. Right? I mean, look at look at what we did. He uh, he implemented that those tariffs on steel and aluminum. Right? And that's great for some sectors of our economy. That's great if you're a steel worker and you make steel for a living. It's great if you're an aluminum worker and you make aluminum for a living. But what if you're a manufacturer in the United States? Well, now your price of steel, your price of aluminum is going up. Not so great for them. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean, what, what President Trump is doing is problematic. Now, I'm, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I do think we do need to get tough with China. There's something that we got to do there because China is not honoring, for better or worse, we don't live in a, in a utopian society where we can just ship goods and borders across goods and services across the borders. Even if we had unanimous political agreement on that in the United States of America, we aren't necessarily going to get agreement from other countries. We're going to do unfair things like put tariffs on our products or subsidize their industry or, or some in some way give themselves an advantage. So unfortunately, these sort of trade diplomacy is something that we have to do. Now, China's been cheating for a long time. And there's not really been a lot the previous administrations have been able to do to stop that. Now, Trump is trying an approach. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I, I don't know. I hate to see soybean growers get caught up in this. But unfortunately, the sort of tools that we have to go after a place like China are the same sort of tools that they have to use back against us. So it's it's tough. And, and what's what's really troubling Right, because I, what's, what's driving a lot of this, and what, what I think makes some people incapable, maybe maybe our previous two emailers, what makes some of them incapable of sitting back and having a level-headed discussion about this is the fact that there's so much politics wrapped up into this. Because setting aside the fact of whether or not you know President Trump's tariffs, whether they're good policy, whether they're bad, po- bad policy or whatever, what we have here in North Dakota are a couple of Democrats, Max Schneider, Heidi Heitkamp, who want to get elected as Democrats in a largely Republican state, in a state that mostly voted for Donald Trump. And so what they need are issues that they can use as a wedge to hurt President Trump with his base. And this is something that they're going to use. And and I, I think they would try to be using it regardless of whether or not even they thought it was good policy. I think it's just good politics, unfortunately. I would rather have a discussion about the policy and not necessarily the politics. Because I think the policy is what matters. Politics, unfortunately, is more the reality. All right, Jay Thomas Show straight ahead. You can always catch me here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.